So, title of the message is called Raising the Bar, 2 Samuel 23, 18 through 23. Uh, we're going to be looking at David and his mighty men. Uh, the Bible says here, we're just picking it up. Um, there's actually uh, one or two really good chapters in here, but talking about the mighty men in uh, 2 Samuel. Um, there's another chapter in, in uh, Chronicles. They're worth looking at. Um, but we're going to look at uh, one passage in particular, and, uh, but we'll be jumping back and forth so we can get a good idea of what, what we're trying to, to bring across here tonight. So it says in the, in, the, in the word of the Lord, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zer- Zeriah, was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. So they had already described the three mighty men, the chief of the third. There were three mighty men that were incredible did incredible feats, and then there were 30 more. Of these 30 more, there were another three that that's what it's talking about here who did incredible feats. So was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kamzeel who had done many deeds. He killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day, and he killed an Egyptian a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and won a name among the three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. So, what we're going to be looking at today, uh, I don't want you to, to start out and going, wow, these are incredible people. Uh, you know, some people are just gifted. Some people are just born that way, you know, and it's nice to read about them. I don't want you to start there. We'll end there, but we're going to go back and we'll see how it started, okay? So, and, and just kind of, I, I was thinking about uh, how to introduce this, and I normally don't go with a, an illustration, but I will this time. There's a guy by the name of Roger Bannister. Nobody really knows who he is, um, you know, unless you know a little bit of history. But he was the first man to break the four-minute barrier, uh, um, running, uh, I think it was a mile, under four minutes. So he did it. They they said it was impossible. For years, milers had been pushing against the clock, but that four-minute mile had always, always beaten them. And like an unconquerable, uh, unconquerable mountain, the closer it was get, gotten to, the more daunting it seemed. When Roger Bannister broke the mark, finally he did it. He ran it in three, three minutes, 59 seconds, three, 59.04 seconds. Once he broke the mark, everybody kind of breathed a sigh of relief. At last, somebody did it. And here's the thing. Once they saw that one person could do it, all of a sudden, other people began to break the mark. It was like it just took one person to break the barrier, and when that barrier was broken, another person said, I can do that. Another person said, I can do that. Another person said, I can do that. So kind of, that's what we're going to kind of be looking at here today, is that uh, as great as the armies of Israel had been and the incredible things that they had done, there was a bar. And then God anointed a man by the name of David, and the title of the message is Raising the Bar, and David was like Roger Bannister. He broke the four-minute mile. He raised the bar, and when he raised the bar, other people came along, and they began to do some of the things that God was doing through David to begin with, and even more things, okay? So we'll begin with David the shepherd boy, and that's what's important for you to understand is David uh, was not always the mighty hero that we know of. He started out 
actually as a shepherd boy. In fact, he was not honored among his family. Uh, you can make a case that he was actually despised by his family because he was born out of adultery, a lot of people think. So Psalms 51 and 5, David is saying, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And so what does that mean? Well, you know, he wasn't counted among when it was time for Samuel to come and anoint the, uh, uh, the next king. He wasn't included in that. Why? Because they didn't like him. They despised him. He wasn't, he's not part of the family. He was born of the other mother, you know. And so 1 Samuel 16 and 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. So 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 7, and then 11 through 12, it'll be up there. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord is anointed as before him. This is one of the brothers of David. Uh, first, uh, probably the eldest, came before Samuel. Samuel said, This has got to be the next king. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his outward appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I want to tell you something, to begin with, most people, who they are is not necessarily who God sees them to be. Because most people today, their lives, the gold that God has deposited in them is hidden underneath and buried underneath mounds of dirt. If you want to find gold, you've got to dig through the dirt, Right? And so what God does is God is really good at taking dirt and making something beautiful out of it, right? And he's deposited something in each and every one of us, and we have to learn to see not the dirt. It does not take prophetic insight to see the dirt. A lot of prophetic, a lot of the prophetic today has been uh, seeing the dirt. Now, we're not saying that's not part of it. But it doesn't take a lot of prophetic insight to call out the dirt. It takes prophetic uh, anointing to call out the gold that is not visible in the dirt. The gold that God sees that even the person that you're talking to doesn't even see in their life. It takes a prophet to call out the gold, not always to call out the dirt. You hearing me? Okay, so anyway, as Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And Jesse was the father. He says, ah, there he is there at the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. In other words, I didn't want him here. The brothers didn't want him here. And Samuel said, well, you better send him, bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And so he sent and brought him in, and he was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And not Samuel, but the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this one that nobody else wanted is the one that I want. Now, I know I took a little bit of liberties with the text, but it, 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 it's part of it, okay? So that's the one that God chose. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what kind of situation that you're in, but don't think that David was any more special than you. He actually started out despised and rejected by his family, the smallest of stature among his family, not to be included with his family, but God is going to do something significant in David's life. So it doesn't matter where you start. What matters is that God comes into your life and that beginning becomes something traumatically different if you will follow God and allow God to work in your life, right? So a lot of times we base uh, who we are 
based on not where somebody began, but on based on where, they, uh, where they're at. And we compare ourselves with them, and we say, I can never do that. And that's not how to start. You've got to realize that Roger Bannister had to start somewhere, running, training, before he broke that five-minute mile. And a lot of times we don't see that, hey, if he had to start somewhere, I can start somewhere too. Right? So anyway, let's move on. And we're going to look, we looked at David, but now we're going to look at David again a little bit more and the men that surrounded him a little later on in life. So Samuel, the Lord said, Samuel, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forth. So what's going to make the difference in David's life? The Spirit of God. It's not the oil. It's the Spirit of God that came upon his life when he was anointed with the oil. The reason the oil made a difference is because God told Samuel to anoint him with oil. When he anointed with oil, then the Spirit of God came upon his life, and it's the Spirit of God that came upon his life that made the difference in his life. And I don't believe that David uh, was just a person that was anointed in the sense that that now there was grace and charisma on his life. I do believe that. But I believe that God actually anointed him with supernatural prowess. That's my personal belief. I'm going to see if I can prove it to you. I've said this before. I don't believe uh, when you watch movies of Samson, you know, Samson, the long-haired, strong guy, they always put people like The Rock or, uh, you know, who is Hulk Hogan or Lou Ferrigno, those are the guys that play Samson because obviously he had to be a big guy if he was going to do the mighty feats that he did wrong. I don't believe that at all. I believe Samson looked just like you and I. <laughs> Some of y'all are going, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I believe he, was, he looked like TR, Doug, me, Wayne. He was just a normal person. Well, how could he do all these incredible feats? Because the Spirit of God came upon him. See, the world doesn't understand that. But God doesn't want you to think like the world. God wants you to think like the way that he teaches us to think. Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world says that's impossible. God says with God all things are possible. So what did David do when the Spirit of God came upon him? 2 Samuel 22 and 30 says, For by you, Lord, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. Now, you can take that as just being, uh, um, you know, um, what do you call that, uh, figurative language, you know, a uh, way of describing uh, something, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, a literary description of something that's really, I'm uh, uh, just trying to find a nice way of saying it. But I think you can also read this uh, uh, in a different way. I think that you can read it as David saying, God, when he came upon my life, gave me the ability to run supernaturally fast, to jump supernaturally high to do things that other people could not do. My personal belief is that, in some sense, David was the first superhero. Well, Samson was a superhero. God just, you know, that we, that the first king that was, uh, the person that was anointed to be king that was going to become a superhero, God, what we're seeing in David is that God supernaturally anointed him to do things that most men could not do on their own. Right? So, this David that was anointed by God to be king was 
um, uh, this despised and forsaken shepherd boy, uh, anointed and upon whom the Spirit of God came, was empowered by the Spirit of God, emboldened to take out a Philistine giant that had come against the Israelite army when the Philistines came against them. They were uh, showing a, a giant in front of them, and this giant was taunting the people of God. And the people of God, the warriors of God that have been in many battles, were afraid of this giant. They were hiding in their tents. And when this little shepherd boy shows up, the Spirit of God rose up inside of him. And he said, well, and basically he's saying, I'll do something. Nobody's going to do something about it. I'll do something about it. First Samuel 17, 32 through 37, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of this giant. I'm going to add a little, uh, ad lib a little bit. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. By the way, David never called him a giant. He always called him an uncircumcised Philistine. A lot of times we want to maximize our problem by the way that we talk. And I think what we need to do is we need to learn how to maximize our God in the way that we talk. Right? So David, Saul said to David, you can't go up against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a young man, a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, and I struck it, and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. So see, supernatural anointing to do something you couldn't do on your own. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine. Not a giant. Uncircumcised Philistine, an enemy of God's people, will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me. So he's given the credit to the Lord. He knows where his strength comes from. He knows where his uh, 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 anointing comes from, from the, his abilities. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And so then we see David going out against him, verse 45 of the same chapter. David goes out against him and he says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this is in, he didn't say that all the people will know that I'm a great guy. He said that all will know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now remember, this was the same boy that nobody wanted, was not invited to the Thanksgiving feast, was not invited to be a part of the family, was given the job nobody else wanted to do. This boy was anointed by God, empowered by God, used by God, and this whole nation of warriors that had been hiding in their tents because of this one uh, Philistine, uh, 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 well, we'll call him an uncircumcised Philistine, but the Bible does say he was a giant, who'd been keeping them silent, idle, irrelevant through the fear and intimidation that he wielded. God raised up a shepherd boy who, through the anointing of the Spirit of God, went out against them with a stone and a sling, and he slew the giant awesome. Right? Now, 
David, because of what he did, God began to elevate him. He was destined to be the next king of Israel. And then Saul, who was the present king of Israel, instead of embracing him, began to become jealous of him and actually began to persecute David and eventually tried to kill him. So David had to flee from the place that God had ordained him to be. He had a season where he had to be in the wilderness. And so he ran away, trying to risk his life. He wasn't running away from a battle, but he ran away from the place that they were trying to kill him. And he went out into the wilderness. And the Bible says, and we're going to look at the second thing, is David's distressed men. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 2, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Now, let me just, we'll, we'll finish reading that here in a minute. Now, when you are putting out an ad for help, you don't say, I'm looking for everybody that's in distress. We have a vacant position. We need teachers at the school. Is there anyone who's in debt? Is there anyone who's discontented? We need a math teacher. We need a Sunday school. I mean, we need a, 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 a elementary teacher, and we're looking for these kind of people. Is that what you're looking for? No. Yeah, you're looking for the best. You're not looking for the worst. This is the Bible's way of saying these were not great people where they're at. Right? It is not. <laughs> Listen. Uh, well, I'm trying to get you to understand what I'm saying here. He said, sometimes the people that you're praying for are the finished product. You want uh, David that's already been sculpted by Michelangelo. Is that he the one that, he's, he's the one that did the, the statue of David? You want that. You don't want the, the chunk of marble. Right? You don't want the slab that begins the process. God sent him the slab. He didn't send him the fully done thing. He sent him. And what does it look like when people come to you? It's they're in distress, they're in debt, and everyone was discontented. Those are the people that came to David. And David recognized that God was sending them to them, to them to him. And the Bible says he became captain over them. It reminds me of uh, the little rascals, you know. It's like, Spanky, I'm the head, I'm the leader, but it was a bunch of little rascals. That's really what's coming to David, right? David, because of the events that transpired, was not on the run from the present regime, was on the run from the present regime, Saul, and God brought to David not the finest of warriors to help him, but a ragtag lot of broken and disenfranchised people. Are, are you following the process here? David rejected, uh, uh, you know, uh, ostracized. God anointed him. God's using him. David goes and does a mighty thing. Then all of a sudden now he's on the run, so he needs some help. So God sends him not the best. He sends him the discontented, the ones who are dis distressed, the ones who are disenfranchised. Those are the people that are coming to David, right? Now, remember the text that I read to you? Those people that God brought to David are going to become something totally different than what they were when they got there. Why? Because they got around a man who showed them what life could be like. They got around someone who raised 
the bar. They got around someone who was living life different than what they knew. And when they saw what God was doing in his life, it became infectious. And they began to think to themselves, I want to do what you're doing. And what David did, they caught. Can I, can I, I was telling somebody today, he said, you can have the best curriculum, the best program, and not good people in it, and it's not going to work. You can have the worst curriculum, the worst system, the worst program, and have good people in it, and it's going to work. Because it's about the people. It's about the leadership. It's about those that God has anointed, that God has put into your lives. Right? That's what it's about. That's what made uh, the Israelites different. It wasn't a program. It was an anointed man that God called to himself. And in fact, it says in the book of Acts, I found someone who will do all my will. And he let God move in his life. And when he let God move in his life, other people saw what life could be when God is in their life and moving. And they began to aspire to do that. And what we're going to find is they actually surpassed David in what they did. And I don't think David was upset about it. It's what we want to do. We want to imbue into the next generation. We want to imbue into those that are coming all that God has done in our life so that the next people that come after us, uh, they don't start at our floor. Their floor starts at our ceiling. They go beyond us. It's what we want. So that brings us to David. Remember, it was David and his distressed men. Now we're going to look at David and those same distressed men become David and his mighty men. Remember, where you start is not necessarily where you're going to finish. So we're going to look at the three, 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 12. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had, Joshib, Bathshebeth, the Tachmanite. So if you want to be great, you've got to have a weird name. He was, <laughs> he was chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. How many men? Not an eighth of a man. Not eight men. Not 80 men. He killed, now I know we're talking about warriors, we're talking about army, and some of y'all just aren't into that, but you got to get it, you got to understand. He killed by himself 800 men at one time. That means in one battle. Who was this man? I don't know who he, was, who he is, but I know who he was. He was distressed and disenfranchised and discontented. Now he's a warrior that's chief of the three. What caused him to become that way? It was getting around David, who was anointed by God and seeing what God did through David and learning and gleaning from David so that he could go out and do what David did. But David killed one giant. This guy killed 800 men. One time. Amazing, right? These are the three. And after him, Eliezer, the son of Dodo. 
I want to stop. I want to have fun with that, but I'm not going to do that. The Ahohite, one of the three, maybe they had to be great just to get over the stigma of their name. I don't know. One of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. So the army retreated. But this one didn't. He arose by himself. Maybe he had the other two with him, but he arose. He attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about. Now remember, he's fighting an army of Philistines. He's fighting them basically by himself. And the Bible says the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people, the rest of the army, returned after him, thinking probably, doesn't say that in there, we got to go get him and got to give him a good burial. But when they came back, they found that he had won a mighty victory. And they returned after him only to plunder what remained. Now, who was this guy? I don't know. I know who he was. He was discontented, disenfranchised, and in distress. Who he is is because he joined up with David and let David become his captain. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And again, it's not just it's about David. It's that David was a man on whom the Spirit of God was. And what they saw David do embolden them to want to do the same and even more. So then you have Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. Very hairy person. No, just kidding. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he, one man, stationed himself in the middle of the field. In other words, he said, I'm not moving. I'm not going to move. I'm going to defend this plot of ground. Either I'm dying or they're dying. Now, it doesn't say that in there, but you've got to understand. You've got to put this into context. And so he stationed himself in the middle of the field. He defended it and killed the Philistines. Now, it doesn't say he brought about a great victory. It says the Lord brought about a great victory. Because who is the one, and we learned this from David, who was the one that was doing the work through David? It was God. Who did David give credit to? God. Who is doing the work through these men? God. Who is getting the credit for it? God. Where do they learn that from? David. That's just the three. And then there was three more. And then there was the 30. All right? So let's look at the 30. Now, Abishai was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Now, I think this is what we started with, right? So was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Now, listen to this. He... Uh, uh, lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, won a great name, but he couldn't make it into the three. Man. Think about that. Benaiah, 
was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel who had done many deeds. He killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Snowy day. He killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of his hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and won a name among these three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. So I read the text again because I wanted you to see. Who were these people? We don't know, but we know who they were. They were discontented, disenfranchised, and in distress. What made the difference? They came to David, a man on whom the Spirit of God was, who knew how to flow with the Spirit of God, and they learned how to allow the Spirit of God to flow in their lives as well. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The three and the thirty were the same men that first came to David in the wilderness, those who were discontented and in debt. I'll read it again. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them, and there was about 400 men with him. Now look at that. Look at how far the bar had been raised that the feats of this last group the 30, as awesome in scope as they were, were still not enough to move them into the company of the three. You see the bar going up, going up. Man, look what I did. I killed 300 people. Well, that's good, but bar is a little higher than that. I jumped eight feet. That's awesome. But the bar is at 10. What do you do? You get upset? No. You did awesome. You jumped eight feet. Let's go for nine. Let's go for ten. But don't lower the bar. The bar is not being lowered. The bar keeps being raised. And the point of that is not to discourage you. The point of raising the bar is to encourage you. You hear what I'm saying? Yet the story doesn't end there. What we'll see next is how far the bar had been raised. The next generation got to a place where they were now fighting these incredible battles for themselves and taking responsibility for those that had gone before. The mighty men in David, fourth point, 2 Samuel 21, 15 through 22. When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines. So David's still fighting, still leading, and David grew faint. Why did David grow faint? He's going to tell us here in a minute, but I'll tell you a little bit beforehand because he's getting older. So then Ishbi Benob, <laughs> who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, so he was the son of the giant that David killed, right? Who, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. Why would he want to kill David? Because David killed his father. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid. Who was Abishai? We don't really know, but we know who he was. He was disenfranchised, he was discontented, and he was in distress. Now all of a sudden, he'd been raised up. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to David's aid. He struck the Philistine and he killed them and then the men of David what men the men that used to be discontented disenfranchised in distress now they came to David and they said to him you shall not go out with him anymore with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel what they're saying is that we value 
you. You are important. What you have done in our lives and what you will do in our lives is super important. But we got this. You have a role to play. You've taught us how to kill giants. Now let us go kill the giants. We don't want to risk you. You've done your part. Now let us go and do what you raised us up to do. Do you see that? Now it happened afterward that these men who went out and said, David, let us go out. They were again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Shibakai, the Hushethite, <laughs> killed Soph, who was one of the sons of the giant. So that's two giants that are gone. And again there was a war at Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jar Oregim, the Bethlehemite, he'll kill the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So that's three giants that are gone other than Goliath. Yet again there was war at Gath where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on his hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was born to the giant. So they killed him. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So David killed one giant and the people that were in distress disconsented uh, uh, and uh, disenfranchised that came to David that David trained and David became captain over they went and killed four more giants David now older now how many of these would, would have thought that they could kill a giant before they saw David kill the giant probably none of them none of them they were all hiding. I mean, even the best warriors in Israel were all hiding in their tents. And God didn't send him the best warriors in Israel. God sent him the, some of the worst people in the land. None of them probably thought they could kill the giant until they got around a giant killer. Giant killers think different. They don't think like you and I. You see, when Caleb was 85 years old, he couldn't go into the promised land when he was 45, when he was 40. They wouldn't let him in because the Israelites were in unbelief and they chose not to follow. Then so he was with the people. So he had to wander the wilderness for 40 years. Well, God brought him back. And when he was 85 years old and he came into the land, he showed who he was. He didn't think like everybody else. Whenever there was a, a big mountain and there was a giant on the mountain, he said, give me that land. I, we eat giants for our food. I want to tell you something. Some people think different than others. And we need to get around people that think different than we do. We need to stop being around people that poor mouth other people and talk about how big the enemy is and what the devil is doing. We need to get around people that are, that are, are, are focused on God and, and believe that God can do anything. And in believing that God can do anything, I promise you that you will do more than if you believe that he can. Are you hearing what I'm saying? David was asked by his men to let them fight the battles of head. David was still important, but his role would now change. He had been used by God to raise the bar in the nation to such an extent that all those who had been at one point in fear of one giant were now being raised to tackle the giants that remained. One giant killer gave rise to a new generation of multiple giant killers. My, how the bar has been raised. So how do we conclude this? Well, we began the study by start recounting the incredible barrier that was broken by a guy named Roger Bannister. He broke the four-minute mile. And uh, remember, he, he busted through it. At last, somebody had done it. And once the other competitors saw it could be done, they did it too. 
What we see in the life of David was a small despised stepchild in the house of Jesse who was born and anointed at a time when the warriors of God were being harassed and tormented and were being rendered mute and immobilized by one Philistine giant by the name of Goliath. God called and anointed the small shepherd boy and supernaturally endowed him with the Spirit of God to go against the giants of the land. Not only did David defeat the giants, but God also anointed him to lead in part that which was on him to those who would gather around him. David not only broke the barrier that had been placed in the way of God's people, but when he broke through, God used him to raise the bar to such an extent that not only he and his men, but the following generations would consider killing giants par for the course. That's normal. It's not abnormal. To them, it was normal. I think in our day and time, we, the church, need to once again raise the bar of what is expected of us and what we are called to do. Since I've been around, and I can speak to that, the goal of the church has been to hold on against the inevitable onslaught of darkness, and if we can just hide out and stay out of the enemy's way, Jesus will somehow deem us worthy and will, in the end, rescue us from the giant. Scripture paints a different picture of what the church is called to do. It's time that we reset the bar that Scripture uh, gives us, and that bar is Jesus. Jesus says, the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do. Jesus went about the whole country preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom and healing all who were in, healing all who came to him. I don't everyone that came to him, but all sickness and every disease, he healed them all, right? He was a great light coming to a land of darkness, and ever here he went, he brought light, and he healed, delivered, set people free. And then he says to his followers, the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do. Who are his followers? We are. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have we been hiding out in our tent, hoping that somehow God will miraculously take care of the giant by bringing us and rapturing us? I'm not saying that that won't happen one day, but I don't think God's coming for a defeated church. I think God's coming for a victorious church. So what's God waiting for? He's waiting for a people that, like David, will raise the bar and say, why are we hiding inside a church? We need to get the, the bushel off of our head, and we need to get out there, and we need to raise the bar of what we can do because God is with us. Doesn't it say in Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, this is what Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life, in my family, in my school, in my city, in my country. What did Jesus do? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Acts 10, 38, with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all. Oh, so where's the bar? All. Oh who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. John 14 and 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Why greater works? Because you had one David, and then you had a multitude of mighty men. You had one Jesus that had the Spirit of God on his life, and now you have multitude of people that have the Spirit of God in them and on them. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Problem is, we don't believe we can do that. The apostles believed, and they did it. These men have gone, <laughs> who have preached, who have turned the world upside down, talking about two of them, they've come to our city as well. They believed they could turn the world upside down. Do you? Awesome. That's what we need to do. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe. And again, I will say this again and again, not who believe in the Lord, yes, that's part of it, but who believe these signs will follow them, right? And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they're not going to get sick. Because that's what we normally think. If I lay hands on the sick, I'm going to get sick. I want to tell you something. I battle with that. But that's not what it says. They shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. What is the bar? Leper came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I ain't touching you. Is that what he said? Because leprosy is contagious. If I touch you, I'm going to get leprosy. No, that's not what he did. He, he said, I am willing. And he touched him. And instead of him getting leprosy, the leper became clean. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies if that spirit dwells in you. Not only will it give us life, but we can impart that life to other people as we lay hands on them. Revelations 12, 11, and they overcame. You are overcomers in Christ. Well, I don't feel like an overcomer. Well, stop going by your feelings. Go by the word of God. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. But here's the key. Because they did not love their lives even to the point of death. I'm serving God no matter what. I lose my job because i got to stand up for Jesus, then I'm losing my job. I'm not quitting. I'm not bowing down because of whatever somebody says. I'm not, I'm not going to quit serving Jesus because somebody unfollowed me on Facebook. I'm not going to quit going to church because somebody looked at me with their bad eye. Because I'm an overcomer. I'm not going to go to another church because they didn't say hi to me. We're an overcomers. I overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not live their lives even to death. Acts 17 and 6. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the ruler of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Like Esther, if not you, who? And I'm here to tell you, we were born for this. We were born to do something in this world to make a difference. The Spirit of God that was in Jesus and came upon Jesus is in you and rests upon you if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. God's desire and God's will is that as Jesus was sent into the world, so we would be sent into the world. Not to be defeated, not to hide out, but to do the works that Jesus did and do even greater works. Our call is to change the world. I want to raise your bar back to the place where Jesus said it. Right? Look at Jesus and say, hey, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Let's raise the bar. Let's not say to ourselves, it's impossible. In your strength it is, but with God, all things are possible. Thank you.